Well, hello everyone. Welcome to A Reason for Hope. A Reason for Hope is an hour-long live broadcast, which is guided for the most part by your questions on God's Word, the Bible. That's right. If you have questions on the Bible, maybe a verse or passage of Scripture, maybe something you're going through in your life, you'd like a biblical scriptural perspective, any honest question on the Bible, we are here to take those questions and delve into the Word to answer them. You can send your questions in through multiple uh, online platforms, social media platforms, email address, all kinds of things, which I will explain with you to you in a moment. Uh, but get your questions into us, and we would love to tackle them as we go along on this hour. With me today, father and son team, Pastors Sean and Scott Richards. How are hey, you guys doing? Doing great. Yeah. Doing great. Great to be here. Looking forward to how the Lord's going to guide the conversation. Lots of exciting stuff happening. Yeah, soon. there is. The world is uh, going kind of crazy <laughs> the more we, sp- the more we move too. along good stuff yeah. yes absolutely so well thank you for making yourself available both of you to answer questions weekdays here at a reason for hope we very much appreciate it uh well as i mentioned reason for hope is a, a weekday live broadcast we're here monday through friday 5 to 6 p.m mountain standard time or wherever it is for you around the world and of course through the internet you can join us uh, all around the world and we have people that do that which is very amazing and exciting for us. So you can go to our website, calvarychristianfellowship.com to view it there. That's a great home base for you. While you're there, check out uh, our website. Uh, we're here in Tucson, Arizona, Calvary Christian Fellowship. Look at all the upcoming events and things. Don't be a stranger. We'd love to have you here. If you're looking for a home church in the Tucson, Arizona area, we'd love to have you come visit. But for the purposes of Reason for Hope, you can go to that Watch Live tab right there. That will take you to our live page or you can go to the direct link ccftucson.online.church you'll see a countdown to the next live show and you'll see a schedule of upcoming events as well not only a reason for hope but uh, services here at calvary christian fellowship and other events that we have but when we're live you'll see the video there you can view it and you can sign in with a username and be part of the broadcast with your questions i personally will be fielding those and interacting with you as we go along you can go to facebook as well calvary christian fellowship of tucson or facebook.com slash ccftucson and find our live video there as well. We'd appreciate it if you have been blessed by this ministry. Just like and share. We'd love to reach people in your sphere of influence as well. So don't forget to share us around. But you can join us through the chat function there as well. Once again, send your questions in. I will be watching. That was more creepy than I expected it to be. <laughs> but yeah, send your questions in. We have a, an we app. a generation that's used to that by now. <laughs> yes, yeah. that's right. I am watching your questions. Well, if they're on the internet and they have yeah. TikTok, they should be used to being That's watching. right. I'm probably the friendliest thing you'll come across. But uh, we have an app as well. If you go to your app store, whether it's your iPhone or Android device or iPad or any of those things, go to your app store. Look for Calvary Christian Fellowship Tucson. Download the app, and you'll be able to watch us live there as well. If you have a Roku device or a smart TV and also an Apple TV device, you can watch us on our channel there as well. Once again, look for Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson. That's another way that you can be part of the broadcast here. And YouTube, that's a great place to go to look at archive videos, and we'll be live there as well, of course. But if you missed a show or would like to recap one of the questions, our archive is right there and easy to navigate. If you go to the Live tab, um, that's where you can find all the live shows that we have done. Or that's youtube.com slash at reasonforhope546. Or just look for A Reason for Hope. That is the name of the channel there on YouTube. You'll see the white Calvary Chapel Dove logo right there. Um, pastor Scott Richards here. He's a senior pastor here at Calvary Christian Fellowship. He's on Twitter. 
So if you're a Twitter kind of person, you can follow along with him, Scott R4H, that's Scott R, number four, letter H on Twitter. He posts highlights from the show. He posts kind of commentary on things going on in the world, which are many, and comical things and prophetic things and all the things. So follow along with Scott on Twitter. Last but not least, our email address is, I'm getting more cheesy as I go along with this show, questionsforhope at gmail.com is our email address. Questions for hope all spelled out with letters at gmail.com. If you're joining us on the radio, we're very glad that you are, but you're listening to a pre-recorded version of our show, so you'll want to use that email address, and we do monitor those as well, and we'll get to those on our next show. But on all the other platforms, we are live, live as can be. You never know what's going to happen. So once again, get your questions in early. We do sometimes run out of time, so we'd appreciate you putting those questions in. I'll make a list of those, and we'll get through them on a first-come, first-served basis, or whoever says the nicest thing about me usually gets them to the top. I'm just <laughs> kidding. That doesn't happen. Well, with that being said, before we go any further, Sean, would you like to pray for us today? We love to pray, obviously, and ask the Lord to guide us. Otherwise, we're dead in the water. That's absolutely true. <laughs> okay. Okay. Dad, thank you that we have the chance to share your word. We don't want to give out of an empty bucket. Please equip my father and I to not only answer the questions that are being asked, but to address them from the hearts and to the hearts of those who are asking. Allow your ministry to not only bring you glory, but to accurately represent your word. We pray this would all be done in the name of Jesus. Mm. Amen. 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 Well, Pastor Scott, uh, you often give us a bit of an update. You mentioned there are exciting things going on in the world. Or? Well, yeah, uh, let's uh, let's start with uh, the Middle East. Uh, mm. Fascinating article uh, run on the, uh, Joel Rosenberg's allisraelnews.com uh, website. Allisrael.com is where you can sign up and be a part of that, and we would really encourage you to do so. Joel just does a tremendous uh, job, not just in terms of keeping you up to date on uh, things that you'll see in the news regarding Israel, uh, which we consider the epicenter of God's prophetic plan, uh, as Joel Rosenberg's book uh, so eloquently puts it. Uh, but also, uh, he uh, really does have some uh, wonderful connections and kind of keeps you ahead. If you see the headline there uh, on that we're showing you on the screen, uh, as Israel enriches to 84%, uh, that is, uh, their uranium is 84% purified, uh, far across the line, as we've shared with you before, uh, for any uh, commercial or industrial or medical purpose, uh, the only reason you uh, enrich to 84 is you're trying to get to 90, which will allow you to make a nuclear weapon. Mm. Uh, so uh, Iran has, according to the International Atomic Energy Agency, uh, achieved that 84% at the very least, maybe more. They may have already crossed the 90% line. Uh, but uh, in response to this, uh, Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu has uh, uh, gotten together with a very interesting uh, group of uh, individuals visiting Israel right now, including Mike Pompeo, who is the former Secretary of State and CIA Director of the United States. Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell was part of this meeting. Senator James Risch, the new head of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. Senator Tom Cotton, who serves on both uh, the Senate Armed Services Committee and the Senate Intelligence Committee. Uh, as well as David Friedman, the former Israeli ambassador uh, during the Trump and Pence administration. Uh, this group had a sit-down, and at this uh, particular sit-down, uh, they discussed some uh, very interesting issues, including uh, Netanyahu meeting privately with the heavily guarded Mike Pompeo. Why was Mike Pompeo so heavily guarded? 
Well, he oversaw a policy during the Trump administration uh, called the Maximum Pressure Policy against Iran, which was incredibly uh, effective uh, in terms of uh, damaging uh, the ability of the regime to be able to export terrorism, uh, the uh, taking out of uh, one of the most uh, brilliant strategists that Iran had, uh, General Soleimani, happened under this maximum pressure regime. So you can probably imagine uh, this maximum pressure campaign uh, has uh, earned uh, Mike Pompeo a large bullseye on him whenever he goes to the Middle East. And so he was very heavily guarded uh, as he met uh, with uh, Benjamin Netanyahu. Security was very, very tight. Uh, Netanyahu uh, warned uh, this uh, group of people about the fact that the time to stop Iran from going fully nuclear is uh, becoming very, very short. Uh, the, uh, the conversation of uh, this uh, that took place here uh, was considered uh, to be confidential, but uh, there were some excerpts that were released to the press, including Netanyahu being asked, how do you stop a rogue nation from acquiring nuclear weapons? He said, let's see, I mean, there have been some examples, so maybe we can deduce a rule. He cited Saddam Hussein's Iraq. He cited Muammar Gaddafi's Libya. Uh, he also cited uh, North Korea. He said two out of the three gave up nuclear weapons because they were confronted with a very real possibility of military intervention. Uh, the third did not, uh, North Korea, because uh, there was really no fist in the glove, so to speak. Uh, North Korea was absolutely convinced that the United States would do nothing to stop they're uh, pursuing a nuclear capability, and so there you have. So uh, Netanyahu says, now we have Iran. Iran seeks to develop uh, nuclear weapons. It was actually stopped for a year in their program uh, right after the Gulf War, where they thought that America would take action against them. They stopped and then converted it into a secret program disguised by various civilian research organizations, but they continued. Uh, they've been stopped or slowed down by various actions that took and some sanctions that were applied uh, you know, again, uh, the sanctions came about because the Americans were saying that crazy guy in Jerusalem, Netanyahu, referring to himself there, by the way, is going to bomb them unless we do something big. So that's how Iran came to the table. Uh, and then they left uh, cash on the table. They did a lousy agreement. The only thing that has credibly stopped rogue nations from developing a nuclear weapon is a credible military threat or credible military action. Uh, you can couple that with crippling economic sanctions, but that's not a sufficient condition. A necessary condition, and often sufficient condition, is credible military action. Then Netanyahu, here's the money quote. The longer you wait, the harder that becomes. Uh, added, we've waited very, very long. I can tell you, we, I will do everything in my power to prevent Iran from acquiring nuclear weapons. That's not merely an Israeli interest. It's an American interest. It's in the interest of the whole world. Mm. Uh, another excerpt from the conversation uh, regarded uh, Netanyahu's optimism about Israel being able to actually uh, strike an alliance with Saudi Arabia. Uh, he believes that uh, if such an agreement on an economic, diplomatic, but most importantly, military basis is actually struck, uh, that uh, the entire balance of power in the Middle East is going to change. It's going to put Iran in a un very unenviable position. So want more details on that? Again, allisrael.com, great place to go to to uh, get up to date on uh, these circumstances. 
Another interesting uh, article broke. Uh, I don't know how many of you are aware, but uh, today marks the premiere of the movie The Jesus Revolution. Mm -hmm. uh, this is based upon a book written by Greg Laurie uh, about his experience coming to Christ in the middle of uh, the Jesus movement. It stars Kelsey Grammer, who you might know uh, from the uh, comedies uh, Cheers and Frasier, uh, Jonathan Rumi, who is uh, the lead actor in The Chosen, Joel Courtney, who has uh, been in a number of Hollywood movies. Uh, and uh, again, uh, it is described, a really interesting review of this in uh, the Christian Post, saying it isn't preachy or political, it doesn't rely on genre tropes to carry the story, rather it is a tender, heartfelt, and sometimes humorous look at the complicated figures behind the Jesus movement, and our revival was sparked among the most unlikely people groups paving the way for many churches and Christian music today. Uh, it goes on to describe uh, this uh, particular movie. I like uh, the last uh, summary here, rated PG-13. It does touch on difficult subjects like drug use, alcoholism, and infidelity. Filmmakers also like to point to the highlight of the humanity of the characters. Lonnie Frisbee, who was the first hippie that Pastor Chuck met, and Pastor Chuck themselves are portrayed as complicated men who God used for his purposes despite their flaws and missteps. It drives home the biblical truth that no one, not even hippies or pharisaical religious people, is beyond God's saving grace. It's a story of real faith lived out in all its beauty and messiness. Hmm. Ultimately, Jesus' Revolution is a movie about Jesus, about how even in the darkest of times he's moving, working within hearts and minds to provide hope and true freedom, at a time of societal unrest and confusion that mirrors the 60s and 70s, Jesus' revolution provides a much-needed jolt of hope. Mm. So, uh, again, that's going to be available uh, in theaters at least throughout the weekend, depending upon the attendance. From what I understand, the attendance is going to be tremendous. Our good friend uh, Tony Clark uh, back in Virginia, for instance, uh, pulled the plug on his Wednesday night Bible study. Oh, really? His whole church is going to see the Jesus movement tonight. <laughs> Uh, so, you know, some churches are, are doing that. Uh, we are going to be, uh, a number of people are going to be going and seeing the opening night to, or associated here with Calvary Christian Fellowship. Mm -hmm. We're going to be doing our regular, uh, verse by verse study through the book of Ezekiel, but a number of us are going to be getting together and seeing the, uh, 345 showing at, uh, the Oro Valley Marketplace Theater. Uh, so if you'd like to come and hang out with us, I would encourage you to get your tickets uh, for that, you can go on a site like Fandango or just go to the Oro Valley Marketplace website and uh, through the miracle of computer technology, you yourself <laughs> can reserve your seat. And now there are these comfy seats like lounge chairs. Yeah. Not the ones that I used to sit in that had all the gum on the bottom of them. I know. Stuff like that. doesn't help you stay awake during a movie, I found, as I'm getting older. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have to buy my own gum. I can't recycle. No, never mind. Uh, that's a good thing. That's, a, that's, that's near here near there. <laughs> But uh, I would really encourage you to go and check it out. I have not seen it. I've seen some excerpts. Uh, I was trying desperately to uh, get a hold of a uh, uh, link that would allow pastors to give it a uh, preview. But in a sense, I'm kind of glad I didn't. Uh, it's going to uh, be uh, interesting to see someone that uh, you know I love so much and someone who my own son, Sean, was named after because he played Charles. such an instrumental role in our lives, Pastor Chuck Smith portrayed by uh, Frazier from Cheers and the Frazier show. Uh, the brief excerpts I've seen, seems like he does a pretty good job, but yeah. uh, I've never seen a Hollywood actor actually play 
somebody that I know. Yeah. Uh, when uh, the movie The Last Temptation of Christ came out, I was invited to be on a show on KABC uh, radio discussing the controversy over mm-hmm. all of this because it did portray Jesus in a very uh, questionable, distorted, and dare I even say blasphemous light. Uh, the opening scene of that particular movie shows Jesus making crosses for the Romans so that his father wouldn't force him to be the Messiah, and it went downhill from there. Mm. Uh, and people asked me, you know, why uh, are you so upset over this? It's just a movie. Well, uh, you know, the thing I expressed to them is, you have to understand that Christian, Christians just don't look at Jesus as some, you know, role model or some hero that we follow from afar. Through the Spirit of God, we have a personal relationship. Mm. Uh, with Jesus Christ. And when we see his character misrepresented uh, in such uh, an over-the-top and, and gross and disgusting way, we're going to have an emotional reaction. If right. someone, I, I use this analogy. If someone made a movie about my mom and portrayed her as a uh, sociopath, mass murderer, and a kleptomaniac, I would have an emotional response <laughs> to that yeah. uh, because it's that same level of relationship that we have. So, uh, you know, when... Hollywood does a film about someone you know. In the case of The Last Temptation of Christ, it was knowing Jesus personally. It's always an interesting situation to see how they're going to handle it. I think uh, this movie, uh, from what I understand, is based upon Greg Laurie's book of the same name. I have a lot of confidence because Greg was right there on the ground to see these particular things, and he's he's a godly man with a great relationship with God. I'm looking forward to seeing how it's all betrayed, but you never know. So uh, we're going to uh, withhold judgment, and uh, on the Monday edition of A Reason for Hope, we'll give you our own personal evaluation. <laughs> oh, it's going to be a good one. <laughs> revolution. So there yes, you go. Very good. Yeah, right. play, playing at uh, theaters near you, as yes. I used to say. Yeah, like Coming you, like to you a said. theater near you. That's right. <laughs> he had a Bible <laughs> and a baptismal by the beach. <laughs> See, I, I, I could have. You can do it too. Bucks. We're very creepy today. I, I, I could have uh, made big bucks doing you voiceovers. You missed your vocation. You, you did. But we're glad you're here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, thank you. Thanks for the update. So there you again. go. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, if, if you're if uh, you're in Tucson area. And certainly part of Calvary Christian Fellowship on Sunday, three forty-five, at up at the Oro Valley Marketplace. We're gonna, we're gonna rush the place <laughs> and watch the movie together. So you're welcome to join us. Get your tickets by yourself. We're not, we're not uh, kind of managing that part of it. But pick up your ticket, and we'll see you there. Uh, we've got questions coming in, which is awesome. Thank you, everybody. Uh, question from Joseph. Hello, Joseph. Thank you for being part of the show. This is a great question. He asks. When churches have uh, bookstores and coffee shops, et cetera, um, and conferences uh, that they change money for, is this the same as the temple uh, that Jesus had to clear? Thanks. He Not mentions even that it could remotely. be, could be yeah. off-putting maybe for people coming, visiting. Well, you know, well he mentions that his... there were some radical, radically different policies associated with the money change. It wasn't money changing per se. Yeah, and it that wasn't. was a problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's some follow-up comments as well. He said, shouldn't everything be free as the gospel is free? That's false. And then it turns his father away from the church. He thinks everyone is selling something. There's a interesting trend, this generation among and above most, where the services and the, I guess, work of people is expected to be handed to you. I don't know if it's a sense of entitlement. I don't know if it's a sense of complacency over the fact that people before us have worked hard so that we have a place of comfort. It's really unnerving, but let's, I guess, address the beginning of the question, and then we'll tie it into, was the gospel free? Actually, you know what? Let's reverse that. What did the gospel cost Jesus? 
everything. Okay, that's out. Now let's go into the difference between bookstores charging because the books cost money, not just for you to purchase, but also for the churches to make available to you, and also the time for the author, also the resources for the publication company. We're not trying to take advantage of you any more than secular organizations are. Granted, can't speak for the integrity of all of them, but be very careful of this kind of mindset because it's dangerous. Uh, the difference between the situation in the temple and his famous statement in all three of the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Jesus makes the statement, is not my father's house called a house of prayer, yet you have made it a den of thieves. That wasn't his anti-capitalist rant, as some people have tried to make it out. It was a quotation from the book of Jeremiah, which I'd like to read to you. In Jeremiah chapter 7 and verse 8, the prophet Jeremiah speaking, but the Lord speaking through him says, Behold, you trust in lying words that cannot profit. Will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, burn incense to Baal, walk after other gods whom you do not know, and then come before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, We are delivered to do all these abominations. Has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of thieves in your eyes? Behold, I, even I, have seen it, says the Lord. So literally listing out the violation of all ten of the commandments, <laughs> not having other gods before me, not having uh, graven images, not, of course, uh, Stealing, murdering, committing adultery, swearing falsely, on and on it goes. Taking the name of the Lord in vain or as an empty thing. All of this is listed as something that they would do throughout their lives, then come to the house of God, surrounded by other people who are all doing the same things, and instead of meeting to worship God, it was a gathering of like-minded people. Literally, that's what church means. But these gatherings of people weren't there to worship God. Right. They were there to build each other up in their murderers, in their adulteries, in their fill-in-the-blank for your commandment of the week. The point being made was just that. Jeremiah is saying, your lives are as far from me as possible, yet you come to a house that has my name on the door and you think it fixes everything? And this is the point of Jeremiah's observation. Now, when Jesus cleanses the temple, not once but twice, it specifically notes in the Synoptic Gospels that when he said, take these things away, mm. what things were he, was he addressing? It was the doves, the one who sold doves. Why is that important? Well, despite, again, the popular preferences of people, doves were not free, but the cheapest animal on the market for food. And food preparation, as far as doves or turtle doves, if you will, the classic, you know, 12 Days of Christmas, the two turtle doves, mm. was actually in reference to the Jewish offerings, not just for sins, but also for purification. Right. When Jesus was dedicated in the temple, you can read this in the Gospel of Luke chapter 2, Mary and Joseph brought two turtle doves as an offering for Jesus' purification, not because he was a sinner, but because childbirth is a messy process, and in providing this offering, it would make you accessible or able to interact with the people of God physically again. It wasn't moral uncleanness, it was ceremonial, it was physical uncleanness. Yeah. So note that point first, I guess third, without a long list <laughs> I've of lost count. Uh, addressing points. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> anyway. My next point, yeah. yeah. So Jesus 
specifically targets <laughs> the people with the doves. And the doves were a provision, the cheapest of the cheap animal on the market, because mm. no one would be barred, whether in a status of wealth or in a status of poverty, from worshiping God. The money changers were charging for these doves, not on principle, but added extorted rate. And Jesus was ticked, not because price tag, but because of what? You're making an obstacle. You're making it harder for people to access me. Now, I don't know how the layout of the church that your father went to is built up, but we don't have our coffee shop at the front door and make it so that if you want to fellowship here, you have to buy something. That would be a more accurate comparison. And if that was the case for the church, then I'd condemn them right alongside you and your father. But if, on the other hand, we look at the concept of labor, not being returned with due compensation, and say the fancy word here is an eisegesis, reading into the text the idea that, well, I don't like this whole capitalistic system where people are manipulated on the basis of greed and society structured by that. Hey, be that to what you will. I don't agree, but we don't have to divide fellowship over it. If the existence of someone requiring money for their services turns your father away from church, that wasn't his actual issue. That is not an obstacle between someone and the Lord. That is something they decided before they walked into the door, and I can say that pretty confidently. But if, on the other hand, we ask, what is the purpose of gathering together in church? Going all the way back to the book of Acts, you notice they didn't have concession booths. <laughs> they didn't have a bookstore. They didn't even have a, you know, a complimentary coffee pot, if you will. They were literally fitting, as I stated earlier, the definition of what a church is, a gathering of like-minded people. Mm. Bookstores can be something that some churches can afford to host for the sake and the edification of their people, but the main goal and focus of church isn't to pass the plate. It's to interact with one another on the basis of three things, the study of God's word, the building up of one another, and the fear and the love of the Lord, and the equipping of the saints for the ministry. You can read this in Paul's letters to Timothy and Titus, and there are others as well, but just note the point. Concession booths, bookstores, food drives even, don't fit into this. But if, on the other hand, we're turned off by the idea that things cost money, it's amazing to me how, when that's leveled as an objection, the reason why Christianity shouldn't be taken seriously, everyone is trying to cost money. Does that turn him away from a grocery store and say, I'm going to boycott uh, you know, the grocery store because they're just trying to manipulate me? When they go to see a movie, like whether it's the Jesus Revolution or maybe in this case, Cocaine Bear, why would they charge for this movie? <laughs> I'm, I'm full of jabs today. But the point being made is just that. Be very careful with this mindset, isolating a section of text and saying, well, this condemns the idea of selling anything. No, it was making an obstacle between people and God. The reason why Jesus drove out those money changers and specifically addressed the people who were selling doves should make you not go, oh, money's the problem. He mentions doves that should make you want to maybe open up a computer tab and look up what does the Bible say about doves? Why would doves be sold in the temple? What was going on? There are excellent resources, commentaries, uh, the Enduring Word. 
by David Guzik. It provides an excellent outline for these things with references to Leviticus 12 and Jeremiah 7. You can go on Bible Hub and note cross-references where in that verse or any of the gospel accounts that mentions these events could provide you with cross-references to these things. And that's how we understand not only what happened, but why it was happening. If, on the other hand, we have an agenda, we have an assumption that we want to get the Bible to support us on, then we're going to find that one way or another. It doesn't mean that it's correct. Just make sure that when we, uh, I guess, approach the text in this way that charging money is evil. That's not the case. There is a way to do the charging of money as a wrong thing, but that doesn't mean that the existence of an abuse makes it abusive. You have to ask, who's the one doing the wrong? If on the other hand, we're to say, well, isn't the gospel free? Shouldn't everything be free? No, it shouldn't, because the gospel cost our Lord everything. But if on the other hand, we ask, so don't we freely receive it? Yes, at his expense, because of his generosity. We look to his character as being good to us, not us being entitled to God's grace and salvation. That's important to remember as well. Mm. Yeah, and, and you know, and I think the, uh, the the door swings both ways. I'm really sensitive to this issue uh, because growing up in a non-Christian home, I think the handful of times we went to church, I, I don't know why, but it was always Big Giving Sunday you mm. know, with the <laughs> thermometer up front, and they were always bringing yeah. out their new uh, vision to grow or vision to groan, as the case might be, mm. uh, sort of deal. And I just remember, uh, you know, my dad leaning over to my mom and saying, that guy taking the offering, there's the biggest crook in town. So, uh, mm. I, you know, it's a real it's a, sensitive issue yeah. to me. You know, so so much so that, you know, we, we've wrestled with the, the whole idea of taking an offering yep. in, in church. Uh, and, uh, you know, in a lot of Calvary chapels, uh, you will see them, and, and this, I think, follows the lead of Skip Heitzig in Albuquerque. They never take an offering. They just have agape boxes, mm-hmm. and if you want to give, you can give there, uh, or you can give online. Uh, and, uh, uh, you know, some churches, I think Calvary Tucson has that policy. They don't take mm-hmm. any kind of a formal offering. Uh, you know, that was our policy to begin with, and, uh, you know, I really wanted to stay away from that for the reasons that you've expressed. Uh, you know, I didn't want anybody to be turned off uh, right. to the gospel because they thought we're just trying to get into their wallets, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, we all have the nightmare scenarios where, you know, they're they're passing the offering plate and the usher gives you a stink eye and saying, that all you're gonna, yeah. that's all you're gonna get. So I was way over there on that side of things. Uh, I went to uh, a, a service uh, in uh, at uh, Calvary in Santa Barbara when Ricky Ryan, our good friend, was the pastor there. And they took an offering. Mm. And, uh, you know, when I was at Costa Mesa, Chuck Smith always took an offering. Yep. It was part of the service. And, you know, and I, I talked to Ricky a- about it afterwards, you know, I said, you know, I'm really kind of wrestling back and forth with all of this. And, uh, you know, and Ricky, I think, had a really interesting insight. He just said, you know, when we gather together as a church, we do Christian things together. Mm-hmm. We worship together. We study the word together. Mm-hmm. We fellowship together. But also, the Bible says that one of the things that should mark the Christian life is generously giving together. And it's an opportunity to encourage one another to love and good deeds. We Mm. give as unto the Lord, obviously, but we do it together Mm. as a body. Because that's why uh, Pastor Chuck would have an offering. It wasn't just because it was traditional. Uh, It was because that was part and parcel of of what they considered an act of worship. And I think we see giving as an act of worship. Mm and explain to people that might have their qualms about these sort of things, uh, then a lot of that objection goes away. 
you know, as far as coffee shops and bookstores are concerned, uh, you know, there's a couple different controversies that come up along that line. Mm -hmm. As far as a coffee shop is concerned, uh, you know, I think if a church is charging for, say, you know, getting your double macchiato with, you know, extra foam or something like that, uh, because they're covering their expenses. Mm -hmm. That's just good stewardship. Uh, you know, you, you want to make sure you're covering expenses. You know, having the, you know, communal coffee pot, if someone wants to just get some coffee, I think that's appropriate. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I don't think you necessarily have to say, hey, you know, at Starbucks that cost you three bucks, you know, or, you know, and shake people down for all of that. But I think like a lot of things, it's not so much what we do, but why we do it. And if uh, we do have a bookstore and we do make books available that we think are going to be helpful for the edification of the body, uh, you know, I think it's a good policy to have to say, you know, this is the amount that it costs us to bring this book in, you know, and if you can meet the cost of that, then so much the better. If mm. you can't, maybe you can set aside some money for a couple of weeks and uh, come on in and purchase it. If a person is in such dire straits that they can't afford, say, for instance, the cost of a book, yep. well, Give me the book, you know. Right. Yeah, I'd be happy. You to. know, it's yeah. it, it's not a problem. You know, a couple of scriptures always come up. Freely you've received, freely uh, give. Mm. And some people associate that with stewardship. Really, it's kind of taking Matthew chapter 10 out of context because what Jesus is saying is you've received this power from the Holy Spirit to mm. touch people, deliver demons, heal, and so on. Uh, and so you don't charge people for that kind of service. You right. know, I don't pray for people after a service and say, hey, a little something for the effort here, you know? <laughs> We're not supposed to do you that? Know, not, no tipping yeah. kind of a thing. Okay. You know, and I think that would be really inappropriate. So I don't think the freely you receive, freely give thing, um, fits. you know, fits. A you know, workman's uh, worthy of its hire. Don't muzzle an ox while it treads out the ground. You know, and in Second Peter chapter 2 and verse 3, you know, there's one, the old King James says, uh, by covetousness, they will make merchandise of you with deceptive words. Uh, the word in the New King James is exploit you, mm. uh, talking about false prophets. Well, if, for instance, you go to the bookstore and they say, oh yeah, this book uh, written by a pastor is available for $5, but really you should make a love offering on top of all of that. Because if you don't, you know, you don't value this sort of thing and on the guilt tripping, the manipulating, that's making merchandise. Yeah. yeah. You know, that's, that's getting in, in people's wallets, you know, but I would just say, and, you know, to, to our questioner and, and saying, uh, you know, to his, his father, oh, they're just after your money. Well, I used to hear that a lot growing up. Yeah. The church people are just after your money. Well, maybe you could turn it around a little bit in this set of circumstances. You know, for instance, the, your dad comes to a church service. Um, it's in a building, right? Uh, we don't own our building. We mm -hmm. have to pay rent on our building. Uh, there's air conditioning in the summer, which, mm -hmm. which we are Price glad for. Yep. Uh, there's heat in the winter, which on a day like this, we are glad for. Mm -hmm. But these things cost money. Yep. Uh, the people that minister have to eat mm -hmm. and so on. And so, you know, there's a number of different uh, expenses that have to be met in order to put on a church service and minister to people. Mm -hmm. And I think this is where it turns around. Would you go to a movie theater and sneak in the back so you could see the Jesus Revolution and say, well, you know, it's a spiritual movie. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I just don't think they should charge for this sort of thing. I'm going to just sneak in the back here and, and then sneak out. 
yeah. uh, because you know freely you receive freely you give it's about god so you know no that's ripping off the theater right why You're is it ripping off the, the theater license. because the theater has overhead and and so on so uh you know if a person comes to a service and they're blessed by what goes on there you know nobody in, in our church is going to you know shake them down for money we don't do a formal offering here i mean i right. guess that all went out with covid right. uh but we do remind people that they, if they want to worship the lord and they're giving there are agape boxes they can give online and i don't think that's getting into people's wallets or anything else we don't say uh, you know, well, you know, you have to slide your MasterCard or we're not going to let you out of the auditorium. Yeah. Uh, you know, people have to decide, you know, uh, what kind of benefit they're receiving mm. from this. And, and do they want to participate with the Lord in what he's doing in this particular set of yeah. circumstances? And uh, if it's valuable to you, then, you know, I know people uh, who spend $20,000 a year for tickets to the Wildcat games. Yeah tells me how much you value uh, watching the Wildcats. Mm -hmm. And I wouldn't begrudge somebody for doing that. If they can do that, that's between them and the Lord. But it tells me another very important principle. Uh, Jesus said, where your uh, treasure is, your heart will be also. Right. So, you know, uh, money, I think, and what we do with money, how we feel about money, you know, I, it doesn't make us righteous. It doesn't make us unrighteous. But it certainly is a good barometer. Mm what's really important to us yeah. in life. So, you know, maybe turn that around a little bit. You know, well, I'm offended because this place that has overhead and expenses is actually, uh, you know, ask people to help support them. You yeah. know, I, I don't think that's reasonable. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it's like they say, there's a lot of good excuses, but there's not a lot of good reasons. And I, I get the feeling that even if um, in a situation like that, there was no offering, no mention of agape boxes, no appeal anything online there'd They'd be find something, something else yeah that would be would be getting in the way you yeah. know and and when when someone brings up something like that you know i'll, I'll ask them a question you know it, you know it's like someone who claimed to be a christian kind of ripped you off financially in the past mm. that why you're a little snake bit about all of this yeah and then turn it around and say isn't it amazing how jesus was completely the opposite of all of that you know yeah. he he never asked anybody for a dime in fact, uh, when he and Simon Peter were short on the temple tax or were asked about the temple tax, uh, he didn't say, Peter, go and uh, work and get uh, the tax for you and, and for me. He says, no, Peter, go down to the Sea of Galilee, catch a fish. First fish you catch, you'll find a gold coin in its mouth that'll mm. pay the temple tax for us both. Uh, and Jesus wasn't obligated to pay the temple tax. The temple existed for him. He's God, right? Yeah, so, right. um, but he did that so it wouldn't stumble other people. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think, you know, the, the thing about finances is uh, it can really be a really good way to see into people's hearts. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, what, what you spend your money on, what you feel begrudged about. And one of the things we tell people is, you know, God uh, wants us to give uh, willingly, uh, not grudgingly or under compulsion for God loves a cheerful giver. I always tell people, man, do the eye roll test. If, you know, there's an opportunity to give and your first reaction is, oh, like that, don't give. God doesn't need your money. Yeah. He's not a little short, but you're missing out on a blessing because yeah. when we give, we're being like the Lord. After the Apostle Paul appealed uh, to the church at Corinth to participate in a relief effort uh, that was going on 
for the Church of Jerusalem was undergoing uh, an incredible famine at that particular time. The last line he says is, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Mm. He'll never outgive God because he gave his only begotten son. Yeah, yeah, so. very good. I mean, there, you know, there has been these TV evangelists that, I mean, even sure. years ago yeah. back in England, I'd see the shows that do turn people off. So you can understand why people are, yeah. you know, it's given us a bad rap, but there's certainly a balance there as you guys described. So well, that's why good. we took the extra time to deal with because yeah. it's a huge issue, unfortunately. It is. Yeah. But yeah. it goes both ways. Goes if both you're, ways. If people in the name of God are trying to manipulate people, trying to profit off of them, using money as their focus for why they're serving God, it's just as condemnable as the other stat where you condemn, shame, mock the name of God because of your desire to keep your money to build up your wealth, to say, well, I don't want to invest in that. That's not worth my time and energy. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, Joseph, thank you for that question. It's a great question, great discussion. Thank you for being part of the broadcast and for your question there. A uh, question from Hank. It's a great American name. Uh, it's, it's, uh, <laughs> I'd <laughs> it love to know it the is. etymology of it that. It doesn't get more American than uh, no, that. No, I don't think you'll meet a Maybe British Cletus person called Marca. Hank. Marca. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I mean, the next step up would be Butch. Yeah. Um, uh, welcome, Hank. Thank you for yeah, your question. question. Uh, question is, it says there is no more sea in Revelation, um, and a third of the sea creatures were killed. Is God going to bring them back and create lakes? Will there be water in the new heaven and new earth? Well, there's Thank definitely you. water. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We know that. Go so ahead. three <laughs> phases. Uh, no more sea in Revelation. Where and when does it say there is no more sea? The verses that precede that in Revelation chapter the last one <laughs> says, you can't, that's cheating you can't say that 22 uh, is actually mentioning and making that's a the kind point. of thing i say yeah in the bible it says yeah. the last one <laughs> it's making a point that that's at the end of these things so when the sea has been obviously not just turned a third to blood it's been turned to all blood as a result of the uh, best memory serves i believe second trump or second and third trumpet judgments, and the third bowl judgment uh, in Revelation 16. By the end of the tribulation, doesn't matter what the state of the earth is as far as water is concerned, nothing's going to survive in it, and that is an act of judgment. But if we're going to then say, okay, the millennium, God's completely within his grounds to recreate that, and of course to restore it with fishies, it's entirely speculation. I think that in the millennium, not the new heavens and the new earth, the sea will be made to accommodate and I think will rejuvenate quite nicely after a thousand years, especially in perfect conditions. But that also being said, uh, in no more sea in the new heavens and the new earth, is God going to bring them back then? And we simply aren't told as far as sea life is concerned. We don't know what the new heaven, the new earth will encapsulate. The one uh, indigenous creature we know that will be living in the new heavens and the new earth is Jesus and hopefully me. That's where I think you should leave it. Um, but the third one's interesting. Will there be water in the new heavens and the new earth? Absolutely. And you're going through Ezekiel. We can find out exactly where. Yeah, well, uh, I, I believe that's a picture of the millennial temple, the thousand-year reign of Christ. But there is going to be a uh, flowing river of living water that comes from the temple that flows down to the Dead Sea and makes it uh, not only not dead anymore, but actually a place where a lot of fishing is going to take place. Yeah, through En Gedi. So uh, if you like fishing, uh, that's good news for you. 
Uh, as far as the eternal state is concerned, after the new heavens and the new earth are created, there's no more sea, but there's sure a lot of mentions in this of, uh, of uh, water and things uh, relating uh, to water. Uh, you know, again, in uh, Revelation chapter 21, uh, for instance, that's where the no more sea line uh, comes in. Uh, we are told uh, that, uh, you know, for instance, uh, that uh, there is going to be in uh, Revelation 22, a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and from the Lamb. So, uh, you know, the one of the last invitations is, whoever thirsts, uh, let him say, come. Uh, you know, let them drink of the water of life freely. Uh, so, yeah, there's going to be all kinds of opportunities to see liquids there. Whether there's going to be a huge, massive ocean, whether it's going to be manifested in lakes, we don't know, but there's definitely, for sure, going to be a river of the water of life. Uh, the rest we'll find out when we get there. Yeah, yeah. So, amen to that. Just to recap, no sea in Revelation. Remember, it's, that's at the end. A third of the sea creatures were killed, all of them eventually. Is God going to bring them back? We're not told, but there is some expectation since the millennium's going to exist on an Eden-like earth in a thousand years, I think, is plenty for the fish to replenish. And, of course, will there be water in the new heavens and the new earth? Water, yes. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Great. Yeah. Great. Thanks, Hank, for your question. Very good question. I hope that helps you out. Question from Gail. Uh, the book of Esther confuses me. Why did Esther and Mordecai decide to remain in Susa when they could have returned to Jerusalem? And the next question is, which uh, Xerxes, that's how you pronounce it, right? X-E-R-X-E-S. Persians. <laughs> Xerxes, I know. I was like, oh, I'm dyslexic enough. Uh, which which uh, Xerxes in history was Esther married to? There were a few King uh, Xerxes in Persia. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. Well, let's, let's start with the first one. Uh, why did Esther and Mordecai yeah, decide to in remain Persia? in Susa? Yeah. Well, uh, a lot of the Jews decided to remain in uh, Babylon mm -hmm. and Persia. Uh, and with, in some cases, good reason. Um, in the famous Jeremiah chapter 29 passage where we find, for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare, not for calamity, give you a future and a hope. That's not just a picture of the broadness of God's love and how he wants the best for each and every one of us. It was directed to a group of people that were in exile in Babylon that were basically saying, should we get comfortable here or mm. should we just wait because God's going to bring us back? And God's message was, no, get situated in Babylon. Start planting seeds, be, start building houses. Be a blessing to wherever you are mm. because I'm going to be with you there mm. and, and I'm going to bless you and I'm going to prosper you there. And a lot of people were blessed, prospered after 70 some years uh, before the permission was given to, re to return back. A lot of time, you know, a lot of relationships built, uh, you know, a lot of infrastructure invested in. So the vast majority of Jews didn't return. Uh, you know, that ragtag group that uh, came back uh, under uh, Nehemiah with him, that Nehemiah came back and to, Ezra to, before deal, him. To, to, to deal with. Uh, very small uh, percentage-wise mm. compared to most of the Jews there. And because of that, uh, people like Mordecai, we can see from the Scripture, uh, became people of influence. Uh, so much so, you know, you know, it's interesting. One of the great uh, titles for a study in the book of Esther I've seen is Providence is more than a city in Rhode Island uh, because God's not mentioned in the entire mm. book of Esther. 
But the unseen hand of God is certainly seen right. in the book of Esther. And one of the, the ways that we see the unseen hand of God is how the Lord shepherded his people. Even though they had no king, even though they were under a pagan king, he always raised up leaders to oversee them and protect them. Daniel is a great example of this. Why did he rise so quickly and so prominently uh, in almost every uh, regime that came down the line in Babylon and into Medo-Persia? Well, it was because God was shepherding his people. Mordecai was a person of significant influence in the Medo-Persian Empire. And I believe, you know, although I can't give you chapter and verse on this, if you were to talk to Mordecai, he probably felt that the main reason he was to be there was to oversee and protect the affairs of the Jewish people. Hence, when uh, Haman decided to uh, do his uh, proto-Hitler deal and uh, issue an edict to wipe out all the Jews, uh, you had a guy like Mordecai who was there, his niece Esther uh, was uh, in a position within the kingdom itself to be able to make an appeal to the king. God even arranged things so that Mordecai found the favor of the king by uh, unearthing a, a plot to assassinate the king. Mm. And, you know, and so you see God raising people up into these positions. And so uh, you know, why didn't they all return? Was it an act of unfaithfulness not to return to Israel at that time? No, it just depended on how a person you know, sought the Lord and, and sought uh, what his plan was for their life. What a tragedy it would have been uh, if a guy like Mordecai had decided to take his niece who lost both parents and said, oh, you know, we're out of here. Things aren't working out for us in Medo-Persia. We're going to go back to Jerusalem. Well, if he had, who would have been there to stop a guy like Haman to, uh, with his nefarious plans to wipe out the Jewish people? Mm. Yeah, and remember, the reasons they didn't travel weren't just limited to, well, we got a financial investment here. We've been here for so long. Most of the people, Daniel included, who had been living in Babylon had either died of old age or were getting closer and closer to that day. They couldn't make a journey from Persia, <laughs> modern-day Iran, on foot, by the way, all the way back over to Canaan. Well over 500 miles. Yeah, yeah. and wow. not uh, comfortable traveling conditions either. Yeah, but even their offspring, it would be the same kind of thing. Yeah. You know, many of them did return, but the majority did not. Mm. Um, you know, prior to uh, World War II and so on, uh, there were more Jews that lived in the area that we would know today as, uh, or we know back then as Babylon, uh, than there were living in Israel at that particular time, the diaspora, as you, you hear it mentioned. So uh, those roots uh, went, went very, very deep. Yes. Yeah, and then the second part of the question about which Xerxes. Um, right. Xerxes is mentioned in some translations, most mention Azaharis, and mm -hmm. I think they've done us all a service at that. Um, Azaharis is obviously a more direct name, but when it comes to how we figure out which king is which in ancient history, the best thing to look at is what they did, because mm. that's the defining trait they wanted to brag about. As far as the first kings of the Medo-Persian alliance, we look at guys like Cyrus the Great, we look at uh, Darius the Mede, Cyrus, and uh, others as well. But when it comes to you know Artaxerxes Longinus, the guy who was reigning during Nehemiah, plenty of other people that have borne that name, we ask who is the one who made the order to see Israel rebuilt. Mm. The Xerxes that's in reference to Esther, and uh, we would date his time around uh, 486 to 465 B.C. 
uh, the one who was reigning, as Esther literally begins in the first chapter, the first verse, the one who had expanded Persian providences to the number that they gave us. That's available for viewing in the uh, Medo-Persian Chronicle. Uh, it says, And it came to pass the days of Azaharis. This was the Azaharis. See, the author of Esther is already specifying which one. Mm, yeah. Who reigned over 127 provinces from India to Ethiopia. In those days he sat down in Sushan the citadel. In the third year of his reign he made a feast and so forth. So which Azaharis, which Xerxes is it? The text tells you. It's the one who did that, who had that territory under his name. And if you want to check other resources that match up with this, again, the Medo-Persian Chronicle, the Babylonian Chronicle, Herodotus goes a little bit into it, but he was getting it from secondhand information. First historian, mind you, great stuff. But yeah. um, all that being said, some Josephus of, is in his Antiquities talks a bit about this. Yeah, yeah, and they all provide great resources. Yeah. We can use landmarks, but just note that's how ancient history is done. You look at what they did. That's yeah. how you specify which king. Yeah, and they're able to kind of target this because uh, we we do know in history that Ahasuerus uh, had suffered an ignominious defeat at the hand of the Greeks. Yeah. And we are told from a number of different historical sources that he first sought consolation for his defeat by retreating into his harem. Guess who uh, was a part of that. And, and so the ideas of Vashti and Esther, although they're not uh, to this point, uh, mentioned in any kind of uh, archaeological digs that we have. It's just amazing how many people we find in the Bible are mentioned uh, in archaeological digs. We do have Mordecai's name. Yeah. And, uh, you know, for instance, uh, Baruch, uh, Jeremiah's scribe, mm -hmm. we found the seal that he used, his master card, if you will. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, you know, again, uh, archaeology isn't a settled science. There's new discoveries being made every day. Right. But suffice it to say, the events line up. And the reason that this guy threw such an extravagant feast and, and all of this other stuff and wanted to parade his wives about was because, uh, boy, you know, if you're saying, you know, well, I'm kind of the God King and, and everything I do is right and you just mm -hmm. got your nose bloodied by the Greeks, uh, you're going to want to do some hand-waving and look at how wonderful I am and look at how powerful I am and don't pay any attention to that loss in the military battle that has just gone on. Yeah, so, right. You know, the, the whole thing fits very, very nicely with that particular context. Gotcha, great. Well, Gail, thank you for that question. I hope that sheds some light on that for you. We're coming up at the end of our show to see if we can shoehorn one more in. Mm -hmm. uh, question from Shoe Speak. Shoe Speak, you're going to have to tell us what your name means. Uh, so at some point, <laughs> it's a username. Thank you, a username, yeah, where that came from. I'm curious, but... He says, a Muslim and I got into a discussion and he kept saying that God coming to earth as Jesus and dying for us is not possible because God is not weak and cannot die. How can I address this with a Muslim? We've got about three minutes left. Yeah. Here's your Muslim guy. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah just to summarize. <laughs> so to speak. Uh, that, Muslim evangelism. <laughs> that worldview is handed to them by the Quran. Uh, some of the objections that within the Quran are made against Jesus being God is how can you say that Jesus and his mother were God when they ate food? The mm. argument, th not through the Quran, but the tafsir, the commentaries on the Quran say, this is meant to communicate that because Jesus and his mother, I don't know why they are associating her as a deity, another issue. Um, or info that they received about Christian doctrine, but go um, figure. Yeah. Um, because this is what's being put forward, for Jesus to eat is to show that he depended on those things for sustenance, and that God is not dependent on anything, and the Old Testament agrees, therefore he by nature can't be God. The best way to approach this is to 
well, you can do one of two things. I think the best thing is to turn it around and make the focus about Jesus and saying, you know, it's an interesting thing. The fact that God ate and the fact that God could eat are two different things. God could do anything that he wants. Do you agree? To a point, they would say yes, but the Quran specifies, no, God isn't present in the bathroom. God isn't present around women. He isn't present around these sort of things. Well, Mm. here's the problem. My God can be everywhere. Make it a positive emphasize this point, be forceful about it even, because Muslim culture is very respectful of this. And I think the best place to go is, again, while the topic is uh, noting food, Jesus speaking to the Samaritan woman, (laughs) uh, interestingly enough, uh, emphasized to her, if you knew the gift of God saying, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Now this sounds like a God, don't you think? Mm -hmm. You don't give him water, he gives you forever water. And Jesus said to whoever drinks of this water will be thirsty again. That's our problem. Whoever drinks the water I will give him will be never be thirsty forever. The water that I will give him will be a spring of water giving to everlasting life. When Jesus says, I am the bread of life, when he says that eat of me and eat as food indeed in John chapter 6, emphasize these things to him and saying that Jesus wasn't dependent on food. He chose to eat because he embraced the full human experience. And if they say, no, it's impossible for God to do that, you're saying, my God's bigger than yours. And and that may seem rude, but they're going to respect you being just as forceful as they are. Match their tone. My God's bigger than yours. My God can eat. My God can go to the toilet. My God can be inside of a womb. My God can do things that your God can't. My God's the bigger God. Why can't yours? And this will go back and forth. But note, this is how you want (laughs) to Make sure to to say, no, 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 on the end of things, too. (laughs) (laughs) So just note that. Positives on Jesus match the tone. Great. Thank you for that question. We're out of time for today. If you want to stick around on the platform you're on in about 20 minutes, we'll go live again. We're in the book of Ezekiel tonight here at Calvary Christian Fellowship. Or if you're in the Tucson, Arizona area, come along. We're just on the side of the freeway by Prince and I-10, Calvary Christian Fellowship. If not, we'll see you back tomorrow, same time, same place. God bless you. God bless you guys. (laughs) You've been listening to A Reason for Hope. Thank you again for joining us as we continue our journey through God's Word, one question of the heart at a time. Until we meet again, we would love to connect with you. You can text or email your questions to questionsforhope at gmail.com. You can also find out more about our ministry at calvarychristianfellowship.com. And be sure to join us next time on A Reason for Hope. A Reason for Hope is an outreach ministry of Calvary Christian Fellowship in Tucson, Arizona.